Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! So welcome to episode 22, the Average Cheese Podcast. I'm Dale Lobel. No Todd Widener today, no Peter Jones today. I am flying solo, so this is Dale Flies Solo Part 2. I am releasing this on Thanksgiving Day, so shout out to all the people that listen to us. We are thankful for all of you. Shout out quickly to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. I did get our Packer shoes from him today. They are amazing. I put them up on the Twitter fleet, I think. Why do things have to be so complicated? Right? Like, why do we have to make technology so fucking complicated? I just want to be able to put stuff up. I thought Twitter was simple, and now they're starting to mess with it. Thanks to our 430-odd followers on Twitter. And the folks that follow us on Facebook, if you are trying to get a hold of us, you can find us on Twitter at AVGCheese. You can email us, AVGCheese at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook, also AVG Space Cheese. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, so let's get to it. Week 11, Packers versus Colts. Colts 34, Packers 31. Tough to watch. Totally a tale of two halves. Packers rolled in the first half and did absolutely nothing on offense in the second half. Indianapolis came into this game with the best defense in the NFL. You know, giving up very few yards on the ground. They have a solid defense all around. Funny that guys like Xavier Rhodes, who sucked ass with Minnesota, all of a sudden become a player with a different team. So that was kind of strange. So there's the game. That's the entire thing right there. The end. Podcast over. Try to come up with some highlights from this game. And when you score 31 points, you think, well, there's got to be a few highlights, right? But it's really the Packers being the Packers. There wasn't one thing that I thought stuck out more than any other. The one thing, though, that I really was kind of surprised about, and maybe I shouldn't be, was that the deep ball is back. The Packers went long in this game a couple of times. Now, granted, they're playing indoors in Indianapolis where the weather is clearly perfect. There's no wind. They do have deep threats in EQ, St. Brown, and in MVS. They went long twice to MVS in this game late. They also opened up the game, I think, on the first offensive play with a pretty long ball down the right sideline to Devontae Adams. It is nice to see them putting that into their arsenal. It's something we've talked about in the past that is important. Right, You have to make teams respect the deep ball so that you can do other things underneath. And it was nice to see that. And MVS is our deep guy, right? And he, he got open twice. The one time he was interfered with, where that guy started crying about pass interference, even though he had MVS's arm for like the last seven yards down the football field. I kind of wonder, and I know I'm going a little bit off topic here, but are they teaching that? 
Like you see a lot of defensive backs who are pulling that arm in inside. And it feels like it's a technique that must get taught. The other observation from that is MVS clearly didn't wrestle because guys that are used to hand fighting wouldn't just let, run with their arm being held and would pull that out of there. Like, I didn't understand why MVS just continued to run down the field with one arm trapped to his side. To be fair, he almost caught that ball. That ball landed right in his other arm, which would have been an amazing catch. That would have been great if he had been interfered with and caught that ball. Uh, MVS also caught that long ball late, which was huge down the middle of the field. I guess if you got Devontae Adams on the other side, you can't double MVS and Devontae, and you wouldn't want to double MVS, to be fair. But in a situation like that, if a guy is going deep when they need, you know, just go 90 yards or whatever late in the game, you think you'd put a safety back a little deep, deeper, but whatever. So the deep ball is back, and I think that's huge. That was my biggest highlight of the game. Notable injuries in this game. Corey Lindsley went out with a back injury. Did see that Lindsley should be okay. I saw that he likely will play on Sunday versus the Bears, and that's a big deal. You can't keep losing guys on the offensive line at some point, even though the Packers line has really, really been good the entire season. You start to get to backup number two or three, and there's a definite drop-off in talent. Level. All right, let's review the offense like we always do. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams had their typical great days. Aaron Rodgers, 27 for 38, 311 yards, three touchdowns, quarterback rating of over 110. I think I said last week or the week before, his quarterback rating in career is like 108, 109. So a typical Aaron Rodgers game. Devontae Adams had a quote-unquote quiet game, seven catches, 106 yards, and a touchdown. When you are as good as those two guys are, against a great defense even, it doesn't seem like a big deal. I guess we're used to Adams going for 10 catches for 140 yards and a multiple touchdowns. 311 yards and three touchdowns for Aaron Rodgers is kind of ho-hum. I mean, we're real spoiled that way. Big Bob Tunyon, my friend, my fantasy guy, Big Bob Tunyon, who I'm really going to struggle to call Tunyon, especially in Wisconsin. It's Tanyan. He needs to know that he lives in Wisconsin right now. It's going to be Tanya until you go somewhere else. Sorry, Bob. He had a pretty decent game. He had five targets, caught all five of them, 44 yards and a touchdown. I do have him on my fantasy team, so I'm super appreciative when he goes off. And the other thing about the offense is Elton Jenkins now moved to center. Lindsley went out, and like you saw in the game, Jenkins moved to center. I don't know that there is a more versatile linemen in the entire league. I mean, how many guys can say that they played four of the five line positions and we're only in week 11? I really think they need to get him snaps at right guard just because. Like, just throw him out there so that he can say that he played all five line positions. Also, Runyon came in in this game. So when Lindsley went out, Jenkins slid over to center and Runyon played guard. Runyon, I mean, granted, he had some shaky snaps in this game, but against DeForest Buckner and a very good defensive line, you're going to have that, especially as a rookie. But John Runyon looks like a player. It's that simple. Like, it's not a huge, huge drop-off like he's a revolving door where guys are just whipping him and getting by. It looks like Runyon as a six-round pick was a 
big steal for the Packers. A lot of people get on Goody for, you know, his draft picks or whatever. But he drafted Elton Jenkins and now John Runyon. And those are huge steals. I mean, sixth-round pick, fifth-round pick. If you find a starter that can really play in this league, that's a great pick. The bad boy on offense. Now, again, the Packers scored 31 in this game. So when you score 31 points, you got to be pretty happy with things. But they scored 28 in the first half, and then three, basically three only at the end of the game. Like, they went almost an entire half and didn't score any points. Part of that was... They turned the ball over in this game. I cannot remember the last time the Packers turned the ball over four times. And to be fair, against a good team like the Colts, you turn it over four four times and you're only down, or you're winning this game, and then lose by three. The Packers were rolling on that first drive, and then there was that bad snap center you know center quarterback exchange between Lindsley and Rodgers. And I don't know what happened there. The ball never got to Rodgers. That was big. Once again, The teams, you know, last week against the Jaguars, they deferred to the Packers, and the Colts also deferred to the Packers, which I just think is a bad strategy. It's a bad strategy, but they seem to – maybe that's the thing, though. Teams are going to defer to the Packers so that they can maybe stop them on the first drive and see what happens. I still think it's stupid. It's ridiculous. You know, it could have been a blowout for the Packers because the Packers actually forced turnovers in this game for the first time in a long time. Another negative in this game was – Aaron Jones, I don't know if he's still a little bit hurt or what the deal is, but he only touched the ball 14 times in this game. If you are playing against one of the top defenses in the NFL, you need to hand the rock or throw the rock to your best players. Adams got his seven catches. Aaron Rodgers threw the ball to Devontae Adams eight times. He threw the ball to Aaron Jones four times but 14 touches is just not enough for a player like Aaron Jones I get it you want to mix it up you want to get Jamal Williams his touches and again you know when you turn the ball over you're going to have less plays to go with but still he should be touching the ball more than 14 times another negative in this game is and and I'm going to talk more about MVS later but MVS should not be on the field in short yardage plays I would say he's a below-average blocker. He's not going to carry the football in short yardage. So you throw him in motion on a third and one, a fourth and one, third and two, whatever it is. Nobody's following that guy. Unless you're going to – you might as well put him out on the outside and let him run that deep route and clear at least one guy out of the play. Because running him in motion is worthless. There's no reason to do that at all on short yardage. You're not going to hand him the ball in the jet sweep. He can't even make the cut. He would have to run straight to the sideline and hopefully get you your one. Another thing that made me fucking mental in this game was fourth and one. Jamal Williams is in the game. Now, granted, Jamal Williams has struggled running the football, which then goes back to the whole Aaron Jones thing. Like, throw Aaron Jones out there on fourth and one and let him make a play on the outside, or at least something. They go play action. They fake the ball to Williams. There's a lineman coming at Rodgers. What are you doing right there? Hand him the fucking ball and see what happens. And you've got a left tackle making stupid money. You've got, in this game, your center, one of the best young linemen in the game. Now, granted, you got Runyon on the left side, and you know he's a rookie, but... 
run the ball on fourth and one. I would much rather you did that than whatever it is that they tried to fucking do on that place. Absolutely ridiculous. And they didn't convert and probably would have been, Todd wrote these notes up even though he's not here. And I agree with him. Kick the field goal on that. You have not scored points. Yes, it would have been a long field goal. Mason Crosby has been great the entire season. You have to assume that Mason Crosby is going to make that kick. First, run the football. Run it, run it, run it. Smash somebody in the face and run it. And if not, kick the field goal. Not run some pansy-ass play action. Christ's sake. And I don't know why Aaron Rodgers didn't just run the football on that play. If you can't beat the 325-pound guy, like you're one-on-one with a 325-pound defensive lineman. I mean, granted, you're, he's not he's 36, but fuck. That, that was a mess. Another thing, in the beginning of the season, Todd and I talked about Jay Sternberger and how this was his year to come out and be the guy. Sternberger, while he had a very nice block on one play, he's not the guy. When the Packers drafted Jay Sternberger, they didn't draft him to block and put their hand, put his hands on guys, and I get that, and that's why they keep Mercedes Lewis around because he's a great blocker. So then you don't need Jay Sternberger and Tanyan to be great blockers. But Jay Sternberger is almost afraid of contact. He will run out and cut the defensive back, sure, but if he's inside – Blocking the outside linebacker or the defensive end, he's a glorified wide receiver. He just doesn't like to put his hands on guys. And as a tight end in this league, unless you're going to you know, change his role and, or when he changes teams, because I don't think he'll be back as a Packer next year, they have to use him as a fourth wide receiver, whoever gets him next year, because I really don't think 87 – We'll have Sternberger on the back in 2021-22. All right, that's enough of the bad. I'm sure I'll talk more about bad stuff later on. But let's move on to the defense. <sighs> when you give up 34, I don't know that there's a whole lot of good. Jair Alexander had a good, solid game. I guess at this point, the expectations are so high for Jair Alexander that when he has a good game, it doesn't look like a good game because you think he's going to be great. and we, I, He should be great every week. I thought that Amos was also good in this game. When you put that man near the line of scrimmage, he's in his element. That's where he belongs, near the line of scrimmage, making plays. Kenny Clark had a nice game. It's, he's starting to break out. I wonder if he's getting a little bit more healthy because he just looks better than he has. Reese. Kenny Clark had six tackles. He had one for a loss. He had two quarterback hits and a sack. That's what you paid the man $20 million a year for, to be that player. He was disruptive. I said it before, that's my man crush. That, that guy can play the game. And if they put guys next to him that can also play – Look out. Amos had also had he had a pass defense in this game. He had seven tackles and a tackle for a loss. Adrian Amos is a solid player. He's not going to get a ton of sacks. He's not going to get a ton of interceptions. He's not that guy, but he is solid, and he was solid in this game. Asking him to do more than that is you're just not getting that out of him. Your playmaker has to be Darnell Savage, has to be the guy picking balls off in the secondary. 
because Amos needs to be near the line of scrimmage. On that note, too, Raven Green spent a lot of time playing linebacker in this game. I think there's two reasons for that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But he had a decent game, too. Raven Green, he had eight tackles in this game. There was a huge amount of tackles. Like, guys had – there were a lot of tackles in this game. Usually it's, you know, four, five, six, the the leading tackler has that. But the Colts ran 84 plays in this game. Again, I'll say that. The Colts had 84 offensive plays in this game. That is very unusual for the 2020 Packers. Usually the Packers are leading in time of possession. They control the football. But there were, you know, with the four turnovers and the couple of three and outs that they had, the Colts just had the football a lot. And while I don't think the Packers wore down, it didn't look like they were wore out at the end of the game, there's probably something to that. Uh, They also produced two turnovers in this game, and that's big. Uh, The Packers are not producing turnovers at all. I think they have seven for the season or something like that. And when you're 11 games in, that's not acceptable. Lots of bad, though, right? When you give up 34 points to a team like the Colts who are a defensive-minded team, that's a problem. 34 points was the second most points they've given up all year. They gave up 38 to Tampa, which has got to be the most they've scored. God, they looked bad against the Rams the other day. Tom Brady sucks ass. Unless they're playing, he's playing the Packers, then he looks like old Tom Brady. 34 points is a problem. And 84 offensive plays, I think, is even a bigger problem. There was a drive, and <clears throat> I want to say it was in the third quarter. The Colts ran the ball maybe seven or eight plays in a row. And we've talked about it as nauseum, and anybody you listen to or anything you read about the Packers, that's going to be the thing, right? The Packers can't stop the run. We've talked about it over and over on this podcast. It was funny, though. So they're running. Colts are running, driving down the field. They're running. They're running. And then the offensive coordinator must have been like, Meh, I'm tired of running the ball down their throats. We're going to pass. And then – the drive stalled. <laughs> Why are you doing that? What? A seven, Todd's son, Erickson, could probably tell you that all you need to do against the Packers is run the football. But offensive coordinators who get paid tons and tons of money, they get so cute, they go away from what works, and they decide to throw the ball. I, I just don't understand it at all. And speaking of throwing the football, If I got to watch fucking Preston Smith chase the tight end one more fucking time, I'm going to freaking lose it. It, It's stupid. I get it. You don't know what offensive play they're going to call. You only know what you call on defense. But having a play design that forces your outside linebackers, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary, Randy Ramsey, I don't give a fuck who it is. They should not be chasing the tight end. That is ridiculous play calling. Like that play, that's that's stupid. How do you design your defense around a guy who fucking rushes the quarterback for a living and have him like turn and run with the tight end? Please, Mike Pettin. That makes no sense. And I wonder, in Preston Smith, we beat up on him on this podcast over and over again. Does he just not know his role anymore? Did the Packers and Mike Pettin think that 
Preston Smith is so versatile that he can play the run, drop back in coverage, and rush the quarterback. Is that what they thought? Because I'll say it, that doesn't seem like it's working. And this is a bullet point from Todd. Why the fuck are we in dime all the time? That's th- that, there. I said that for Todd. But I have to agree with him. Here's what I think the answer is. And Todd's done with Petten. He's ready for Petten to be fired. There's no way in my mind, at least, the Packers will fire Mike Petten in the middle of the season. I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's a bad precedent when you're 7-3, and three, you're the second seed in the NFC, and you're going to win this division to fire your defensive coordinator. I think it's bad on a it's bad on so many levels. And part of it is what defensive coordinator wants to come in knowing that you're seven and three and you just got fired. Like that seems like a, I don't know, seems like a knee jerk reaction. Although any Packer fan, you don't have to be an analyst to know that the Packers are struggling to stop teams. The reason I think they're in dime though, as much as they are, is that the Packers linebacker team, Kirksey, Jamal, Jamal, there I go again. <laughs> I always call Kamal Martin Jamal for some reason. Kamal Martin, Ty Summers, Oren Burks, anybody that plays the inside linebacker, that middle linebacker position, none of them can cover anybody. When geriatric Rob Gronkowski goes off against the Packers, when he's done nothing else the entire season, when running backs are running free into the secondary, when Michael Pittman Jr. is running free across the middle, that's why I think you're playing dime. I think you're playing Raven Green as a linebacker because Kirksey cannot cover anybody. Kamal Martin is so raw, yet he doesn't understand the nuances of coverage. The Packers don't have an answer for the short passing game. Peter said it, I don't know, it was a week or two ago. They can't stop the run. They also cannot stop the short pass. That is 100% correct, and that's why they're playing dime or nickel. I think they play it because they need to have smaller guys, Raven Green, Adrian Amos, covering guys coming out of the backfield or covering the tight end. I'm okay with Raven Green on a – Obvious passing down, playing linebacker, playing that linebacker spot. Problem is, he's not going to thump people like Kamal Martin is. What else? Kirksey had 11 tackles in this game. 11. And normally you'd say, hey, that's, that's a pretty good game, right? He also had an interception in this game. So, I mean, if you just looked at the numbers, if you did not watch the game at all, you'd think Christian Kirksey had a monster game. Pass defended interception 11 tackles including six solos he does it sometimes there are moments when he's great but he's making a lot of Blake Martinez like tackles we've said it before Christian Kirksey is not the answer I will be stunned if he's on the roster next year that six million dollar paycheck it just seems wasted put Kamal Martin in there Not this year, but I think Kamal Martin, it's his job to lose next year, and I think Kirksey will be gone. The other thing that that we put down in the notes was, I said it last week too, like Rashawn Gary on one play last week was literally running in the middle of nowhere. There was not anyone around him. It just seemed like he had no idea where he was supposed to be on the play. And I feel like that's the case too. This week, 
Like guys are just running around in the middle of the field like, where do I go? And maybe that's because Petten is starting to switch things up a bit and he's trying to take some chances and do things. But there are, there are guys running around the field. They don't know where the fuck they're going. You can't have it when you're making a Super Bowl run. And finally, and, and we've talked about this a lot, they need defensive line help. And it's not going to come, right? I mean, you, you put Billy Wynn in for two or three snaps, and apparently they don't think that he's really a player. You know, you've got Kingsley Kiki. You've got Lancaster Lowry. Lancaster had a big play in this game, though. Had a big quarterback pressure, I thought, in a, in a pretty big moment. I don't know. It's the, the, the help is not coming. I did see on Twitter that the Packers tried to go after Snacks Harrison, who was on Seattle's practice squad, and that forced Seattle to bring him up to the active roster because the Packers were going to snatch Snacks Harrison off their practice squad. And I think they should. You need a veteran guy. You also need an asshole, and we just don't have that. It'd be nice to have that guy. I, I think Snacks Harrison would have been the answer, and we talked about it, you know, early on in the season. So that's the defense. Lots of bad. I mean, in a loss, you're going to get more bad stuff. I'm just a fan. Speaking my mind. Some miscellaneous stuff, and I don't know where to go with this. Packer fans, stop it. At no point should any fan of any team be telling a player that they should kill themselves. It's disgusting. I know I speak for most Packer fans here. We don't fucking want you as a Packer fan if that's who you think you are and that's who you are as a person. One of the things that Packer fans will pride themselves on is that we are, like, you come into Lambeau if you're an opposing fan, you're going to get heckled a little bit. But Packer fans are good people for the most part. We're not Raider fans. You know, we're we're not fucking crazy or stupid. We're not going to boo Santa Claus. We're not going to cheer for guys that are injured. We're not going to cheer that guys are injured. We don't do that stuff. And MVS, if you watch the game, I don't want to say I'm glad he took his helmet off, but I kind of am at the end of that game. So MVS fumbles that ball, and, and it was a good play by the defender and shitty-ass blocking by the guys that were out there, Adams and I think St. Brown. What in the fuck? Like, put your hands on guys. They actually should have had Lazard over there making a block. And if Lazard was one of the guys that missed the block, then I, I, I missed it completely. But if they make a good block or two on that play, MVS may score. Because there was not a whole lot of guys out there other than the, two, you know, the one guy that made the play. But anyway, to go back to my point, you don't fucking tell a player to kill himself because he fumbled the ball. He looked like he was in physical pain out there, MVS when he fumbled that ball and we beat up on him on this podcast and I will continue to beat up on him for his play, but never ever should we be talking about a player wanting to kill himself because they made a mistake in a game. Yes, he made a mistake. It was a big mistake in a very bad moment, but in a regular season game, and even if it was a playoff game or the Super Bowl, it doesn't make any difference. Be better, Packer fans. Another miscellaneous observation from this game. Darius Shepard fucking sucks. He's awful. Yes, MVS made the one big mistake in a bad spot, but Darius Shepard made multiple bad mistakes in this game, and it got glossed over because MVS fumbled that ball in overtime. They win this game. 
MVS is, you know, no one cares that MVS didn't, you know, didn't catch a bunch of balls or whatever. It also might get glossed over that Darius Shepard sucks. I get it. Tyler Irvin is hurt. That's the guy you want returning kicks. But Darius Shepard made three bad plays in this game. One, he's standing on the one-yard line. The ball bounces next to him, and he just stands there. Catch the football, idiot. Like, you're standing on the one? If it's not flying over your head, catch it. You can't assume on a kickoff that it's going to go flying past you. That's stupid. That's a horrible play. I mean, he ended up picking it up, but catch the football. Stand on the goal line. If it's, if it's catchable, catch it. And maybe run with it. That'd be great, too. I get that you want to let it bounce into the end zone because you never get to the 25 on your own, but catch the football. And then he fumbled a kick, right, on another play. These are big mistakes. Darius Shepard is that 4A player. You know, in baseball where you have the triple-A players and then the major leaguers, but then there's those guys who are, like, called up, sent down, called up, sent down. That's Darius Shepard on a football field. He is a great preseason player, but when the bullets fly for real, Darius Shepard is garbage. And the other thing he did, he caught the ball then. So then I think he was flustered in this game. Like, he didn't know what to do because he made so many mistakes in this game. He caught the ball maybe two, three yards deep in the end zone. That's the one that you need to fair catch, buddy. That's the one you sit there and you wait for. No, you decide to run it out, and you end up at like the 12-yard line in a big, big spot in a game that they needed. You need field position because the Colts in the second half were rolling offensively. The Packers needed to, if not score, at least flip field position. So you giving him the ball on the 12, Darius, bad. You were bad in this game, brother. It's horrible. That dude should be cut. We're talking about like MVS that, you know, guys are on Twitter or people on Twitter are like, MVS should be cut right now. No, Darius fucking Shepard should be cut. Because one, he isn't that good. And two, he seems to always make mistakes when he gets into games. I don't care. I do care that you're hardworking. God bless it. Bring somebody else up. Put Perry Nickerson back there to return kicks. Dude runs like lightning. He's like the flash. See what he can do. All right, some MVPs for this game. On offense, I think the MVP has to be Elton Jenkins. That dude is super versatile. And I know he's on a rookie contract, and you just signed David Bakhtiari to stupid money, but Elton Jenkins needs to get paid on this second contract. And it needs to be by the Packers. Imagine David Bakhtiari moving inside to center or to guard. It would never happen. Like, he's a great player, and he's one of the top, I don't know, two or three left tackles in the game. But he's not moving to center. He'd be be terrible there. Elton Jenkins is the offensive MVP for me. And on defense, I didn't talk about it before because I wanted to leave it till now. Rashawn Gary was great in this game. Now, it doesn't show up in the stat line, right? He had one quarterback hit. He had three tackles and one pass that he knocked down. But Rashawn Gary is starting to give you the things that you wanted to see from the 12th overall pick. He is really bringing his game. And we've talked about it before. That dude gives you effort. He will make mistakes, but they will be effort mistakes. He only played... I want to say 42% of the snaps in this game. 
on the opposite side, Preston Smith played in two-thirds of these snaps. I've seen it on Twitter, and I agree with it. It's, it's time for Rashawn Gary to start stealing Preston Smith's snaps. And Peter talked about it last week. Rashawn Gary is going to give you 100% on every play. And I watched him in his game, so I've been watching it on Game Pass, probably the best $75 I spent in a long time. Watching the coaches' version of games, although it's super quiet and it's a little unnerving, watching Rashawn Gary play, he'll put his hands on guys. He will put his hands on guys. Again, he doesn't always make the play. But he's starting to figure it out. He's starting to put his hands on the tackle. He had one play, I think it was early in the third quarter. He long-armed the tackle and rode that thing outside instead of watching the guy cut through the guard tackle hole or go outside of him. He held his position. Other guys came to make the tackle, and that was all on Rashawn Gary. Yeah, I thought he was great. I am starting to really warm to Rashawn Gary. And like we've said in the past, that makes Preston Smith and his gigantic contract easily expendable next year. So my MVPs, again, Elton Jenkins on offense and then Rashawn Gary on defense. Next up in week 12, game one of the 2020 season against the Chicago Bears. It's weird to be playing them so late in the season and have not played them at least once by now. Bears are five and five. Packers are seven and three, as we've talked about. This is a gigantic game for the Packers. Packers are going for win, I think, win 100 in this series. I thought it was interesting, so I looked it up on Pro Football Reference. Again, shout out whoever does that website. Freaking love that website. So many statistics on it. So the Packers are going for win 100 against the Chicago Bears. Now again, the Packers are one of the original franchises, right? Or they've been around for almost 100 years, 1921. I should know this. Packers have been around for almost 100 years. So there is that. And the Bears, they played the Bears 200-something times. I don't know what it is. I don't have it in front of me. So they're going for one win 100 against Chicago. By contrast, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have been in existence since 1995, have won 183 games total. Packers go for 100 wins against one team. Jacksonville has 183 wins in franchise history. So that's interesting. This is a big game for the Packers because if they win this game, they will be 8-3. and three. The Bears will be 5-6. and six. With five games to go, they will have a three-game lead. They would have to shit all over themselves in order to lose – the NFC North. I mean, they would have to completely fall apart for that to happen. So this is a big game on Sunday versus Chicago. And it's a night game, so it'll be a primetime game. We always go through the three keys, and maybe there's no reason to do these anymore because they're always the same. Key number one, which will shock nobody, stop the run. David Montgomery is not Dalvin Cook. He's not even Jonathan Taylor. They should be able to stop the run against the Bears. The Bears are not a great team on offense. They don't blow anybody away. You shouldn't have to worry as much. They should be more, the Packers should be more effective against the run in this game. Because right now, key number two for me, I think I have four keys. So here, here I'm, I'm on my own, so I'm screwing things up today. But they're not sure who's going to play quarterback in this game. 
it looks like it's going to be Mitch Trubisky, who at this point, and I know that way early I said Nick Foles was going to be a guy I was a little bit scared of. Nick Foles has been awful this year. He has a mediocre arm and, you know, like the intangibles, which I thought were his biggest strength, just aren't enough. I guess when Jacksonville wants to let you go so bad, maybe, you know, that there's a reason for that, even though Jacksonville's front office is just ridiculous in the things they've done. Nick Foles can't play. Nick Foles has 10 touchdowns and eight interceptions, 65% completion rate. Mitch Trubisky, I don't know. He's actually marginally better. While his percentage completion rate, his completion rate is like 59%, he hasn't thrown as many picks, which is the opposite of what I thought was going to happen. So anyway, whoever it is at quarterback, if it's Nick Foles, put pressure on Nick Foles. And if it's Mitch Trubisky, I think you need to be a little bit leery and be careful that he doesn't run out of the pocket and beat you with his legs because he can do that. Where Nick Foles won't do that, Mitch Trubisky can actually run the football a little bit. The third key in this game is we, the Green Bay Packers, need to run the football. We need to establish the run. And yes, we're still predominantly a throwing team, but we need to run the football. Aaron Jones needs to have more than 10 rushes. Jamal Williams, who in, this, in the game against Indianapolis, he had five carries, five carries for 12 yards. Aaron Jones had 10 carries for 41 yards. Four yards carry isn't bad, but if you're only carrying it 10 times, that's not enough. You cannot run the ball 18 times in a game. I don't care who you're playing, what the score is. You have to run the football once in a while. While Aaron Rodgers is the best player on the team, he's the best player on the field, you don't want him throwing the ball 38 times. And you had a lead in this game. And I get it. The Colts are good on, against the run. But you still have to mix it in once in a while. Run the football. And against the Bears, we're a good defensive team. You need to run the football. And the last key, I don't care who plays quarterback. It could be Joe Shit, the ragman, playing quarterback for the Bears on Sunday. You got to put pressure on them. And I think the Packers are starting to do that, you know, against Phillip Rivers, the statue. They had a bunch of pressures in this game, so that looked good. That looks promising. I think things are starting to move in the right direction that way. Packers also had one one sack in this game. Only one sack? Gosh, I thought they had more than one sack in this game. Guess not. You need to put pressure on whoever it is. Even if you don't get to the quarterback, you need to put pressure on them because that creates turnovers, and that's going to get Packer defense off the field. And that's how we win the football game. I wonder what Jimmy Graham's going to do in this game. Jimmy Graham, who I hated as a Packer, he did nothing as a Packer, has five touchdowns for the Bears. And if the Packers can't cover, I mean, you should be able to cover Jimmy Graham because he moves at a snail's pace and really isn't all that mobile. You should be able to cover him across the middle, but the Packers have not been able to do it. I wonder if he doesn't have a big game against the Packers just to shove it in the Packers' ass. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully not. Hopefully they <laughs> tackle Jimmy Grahams after he's caught her for one yard, and maybe he'll you know cough up the football or whatever. Peter wasn't able to be with us this week, but we'll put he did record a segment for us, and we will put that here. It's Bears Week. 
there surely could be no better way than putting last Sunday's defeat behind us by playing and beating up on the long-time rival Chicago Bears. Probably the greatest of all professional football rivalries, certainly the game that's been played the most. 200 games they've played, including 198 in the regular season, two in the postseason. Packers lead the series that goes all the way back to 1921. Packers lead the series 99, 95 and 6. And they're 1-1 one and one in those two postseason games that I mentioned. As I said, these teams have been playing since 1921. The only year they didn't play was in 1982 when the players' strike cost both of those Packers-Bears games. And also somewhat surprisingly, perhaps, they've played 19 times in the preseason. It was quite a regular preseason matchup for quite some time. When we look back on the history of, of the series, the Bears moved out into quite a big early lead in in the series. And it wasn't until 1930 that the Packers went into the lead in the series for the first time. And that was that great three-in-a-row championship team, 29-30 and 31. Lambeau's team that contained the likes of Johnny Blood and Arnie Herber, Mike Machowski, Cal Hubbard, all those great Hall of, Hall of Famers. But the Packers only held that lead in the series until 1933. And from then onwards, the Bears gradually moved ahead and kept moving ahead in the series. They won 15 of the 20 games in the 40s, 14 of the 20 games in the 50s. So by the time we got to 1962, the Bears had a record 24-game lead in the series. And whilst the Packers started to reduce that lead through the Lombardi era, when we got back to the 70s and 80s, again, the Bears stretched that lead out. And the Packers went so far as losing eight straight games to the Bears in, in the 80s. And indeed, after the first game in 1992, so after Favre's first game against the Bears, the Bears again had a 24-game lead in the series. So it's quite amazing to think now, just 28 years on, that the Packers actually lead in the series for just the second time. You know, if we look back into, until those till the 80s and early 90s, it's inconceivable that the Packers could have such a, such a run where, where they could ever get back ahead. But in the 1990s, from 94 to 98 in particular, the Packers were hugely dominant. They won 10 straight games in that time from 94 to 98. And then in the early 2000s, from 2000 to 2003, the Packers won seven straight games. And that period of dominance included 11 straight road wins from 94 to 2004. Brett Favre, and that team of the 90s and 2000s very much had the Bears number. Favre finished with a starting record of 22-10 and 10 against the Bears. And Aaron Rodgers has continued that. It was 2017 the Packers took the lead back in this series. And Rodgers himself has a starting record of 19-5 and 5 against the Bears. It's a very historic series featuring the teams with the two most NFL championships, the Packers 13, the Bears 9. 19 divisional titles each. The Bears have got 30 players in the Hall of Fame to the Packers, 26. Bizarrely, they've only met in the playoffs twice. Back in 1941, when the Bears were triumphant, and in the 2010 NFC Championship game that we all know about that led to the Packers going on onto the Super Bowl. It's been many great games, as you would imagine, in a series this large. Uh, I think for Packers fans... I think, there's games in recent memories. Week one of the 2018 season immediately comes to mind. The game in which Rodgers was, was knocked out with, with the injury in the, in the first half. Packers trailed 20 to nothing in the third quarter. Rodgers came back into the game, led the Packers to three touchdowns in that second half. We all remember the pass over the middle to Randall Cobb for the go-ahead score late in that game. The Packers came back to win 24-23. Incredible 
game, Rodgers threw for 270-plus yards just in the second half of that game. The 2013 game, Week 17 game, in which the, the Packers beat, beat the Bears. Fourth down pass from, from Rodgers again to Randall Cobb with 45 seconds remaining in the game. Visions of Cobb being wide open, left side of the field, waving and waving, Rodgers throwing that ball and beat, beating the Bears and the Packers getting to the playoffs, winning the, the division title off the back of that play. Incredible, incredible game. The following year, 2014, Rodgers threw six touchdown passes in the first half against the Bears. As the Packers ra- rolled up 55 points in that game. Rodgers, six touchdown passes in that half, equaled the NFL record for touchdown passes in a, in a single half. There's the big, the 1995 game, which featured Favre throwing that 99-yard touchdown pass to Robert Brooks down the right sideline. 1994 Halloween game, played in the torrential thunderstorm Soldier Field. The Packers came out on, on top. Wonderful, wonderful memories of this series. There's also the game in 1980, which kind of sprung to mind when, when unfortunately I saw Rodrigo Blankenship kick the winning field goal for the Colts against the Packers last Sunday. And looking at dear old Rodrigo, Looked the spitting image of Chester Markle, Packers kicker from the 70s and into 1980. And of course, Chester Markle's, the moment that every Packer fan remembers about Chester Markle was the, the game in early 1980. Packers 6, Bears 6 goes into overtime. Packers line up to kick the winning field goal. Markle's field goal is blocked. Chester picks up the loose ball, scrambles, runs, sprints, stumbles, whichever words you want to use, into the end zone, into the left corner of the end zone to win the game in in overtime. Fantastic. Many, many great games in this series. Far too many to cover all of them, but I hope that kind of gives a flavour of some of the games in this series. Quite a few players, as you would imagine, over the period of since 1921 have played for both teams. A few quarterbacks, Zeke Bratkowski, best known in Packers hearts as as, as the backup throughout much of the 60s to Bart Starr, played for the Bears. Jim McMahon, of course, the backup in the 1996 Super Bowl team for the Packers. And some later guys, Mike Tomzak, played first for the Bears and then was with the Packers in the early 90s. Running backs like Elijah Pitts, Edgar Bennett, finished their careers playing for the Bears. And for those of you that listen to radio commentary, as Wayne Larravee, now the, the voice of the of the Packers radio network, was the voice of the Bears radio network for 14 years from 1985. So moving on to a couple of today's players for the Packers, as I mentioned earlier, Aaron Rodgers has got a 19-5 career starting record against the Bears. That includes four 300-yard games, four four-touchdown games, including that, that six-touchdown game that we, that we mentioned, and 10 games where he's had a passer rating of above 100. His career passer rating, 104 against the Bears, which is very close to his total career passer rating, 47 touchdowns and just 10 interceptions against the Bears. Devontae Adams has had three of his 100-yard game receiving games against the Bears, one each in 2016, 2018, and 2019. And just as a complete aside with a little bit more history, Don Hudson, who caught his first pass for the Packers against the Bears, an 83-yard touchdown in 1935, Hudson had 1,465 career receiving yards purely in games against the Bears. Fantastic history. We look forward to Sunday night. And with that, I'm going to hand you back to Dale and Todd. All right. 
And a couple of just things from around the NFL before I let you go. I don't know how long I've been talking, but it feels like it's been forever. Chiefs played the Raiders. That is going to be a very entertaining series going forward. Those two teams don't like each other. The Raiders did their, you know, whatever they want to call it, their run around the stadium, which really pissed the Chiefs off, which is probably not the best thing to do. You don't want to poke the bear. Doesn't seem like a great idea, but Chiefs came back in that game. Raiders played well. The Raiders looked good. Uh, Derek Carr looks good, and Chucky's got things moving. Interesting how they've gotten a little more simple, a little more balanced, and how they've actually gotten better because of it. Another thing, what, what's going on in the NFC least? The NFC East is the worst division in maybe all of major league sports in 2020. Right now, the Philadelphia Eagles are 3-6-1. and one. They lead the division, and everyone else, including your Dallas Cowboys, are 3-7. and seven. It's one of those teams is going to make the playoffs, which is crazy. Another thing that I thought of was there's a lot of COVID cases in the world, but the NFL is starting to have a problem with COVID cases. We talked about it and I will go back, refer to episode number eight. If you want to listen to my bubble plan, I really think they need to bubble for the playoffs, which I think would be an advantage to the Packers more than almost any team. My buddy Pop, who text me about Packers stuff, reminds me that the Packers are not a cold weather team and they don't play well in weather. The couple of windy games they had up at Lambeau, Packers didn't play well on offense. You put them in a dome or in warm weather or good weather, and I think that's an advantage for the Packers. I think they can throw it. I think they're actually a warm weather team for right now, and bubbling up for the playoffs would be good for the Packers. And it really would be good for the league, because what do you do? It's bad for the league if Aaron Rodgers or God forbid Aaron Rodgers, but if any quarterback gets COVID and their team loses because they have to put the backup quarterback in there, especially in the playoffs. And finally, this is actually not super related to football, but it is. I'm a big fan of Marshawn Lynch. I, I really like that dude. And when the Packers were looking for a running back a couple years ago, they could have signed Marshawn Lynch. I wish that he would have been a Packer at some point because I would have definitely bought a Marshawn Lynch jersey. In typical Marshawn Lynch fashion, (laughs) he's handing out turkeys, which is awesome. Like, he just seems like an awesome down-to-earth dude. Came from the hood, trying to do good things for people. I love that about him. He's handing them out on the street. (laughs) He's literally, like, walking the dotted line, like the dashed line in traffic, turkeys in his hand, (laughs) which is completely how you would expect Marshawn Lynch to hand out turkeys for Thanksgiving. All right. So thanks again if you listen. Hope this didn't suck too bad. Thanks again to Dwight at DDG Customs. I love those shoes. We will auction them off or raffle them off for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society as soon as I figure out what the best way is to make you know money for them. Thanks to Andy at thirdeyegraphics.net. And thank you for listening. Happy Thanksgiving and go pack them.